0: Mike Dedrick. I'm with uh, Michael McPherson with Veterans for Peace Chapter 92 in Seattle in the Veterans for Peace radio show on KODX 96.9. Our statement of purpose is as follows. We, having dutifully served our nation, do hereby affirm our greater responsibility to serve the cause of world peace. To this end, we will work with others towards increasing public awareness of the costs of war to restrain our government from intervening overtly and covertly in the internal affairs of other nations to end the arms race and to reduce and eventually eliminate nuclear weapons to seek justice for veterans and victims of war to abolish war as an instrument of national policy to achieve these goals members of veterans for peace pledge to use nonviolent means and to maintain an organization that is both democratic and open with the understanding that all members are trusted to act in the best interests of the group for the larger purpose of world peace. We urge all people who share this vision to join us. Um, today, this program is going to be touch on the uh, recent nomination of a uh, uh, sitting general to be Secretary of Defense. And what was his name? Uh,
1: his name is Lloyd, Lloyd Austin. Lloyd Austin. Yeah, actually is Lloyd James Austin third? Um, he retired in 2016, he's 67 yeah. years old. Now I'll talk a little bit more about him. Um, okay. Go ahead, what you were saying and-, and uh, No,
0: there will, and talk about that issue, particularly having civilian control of the military. Uh, the national, uh, We've got a national law, which actually says, uh, military officers, former military officers must be separated over seven years or more from active duty to serve in that role. Uh, and he is not. Uh, right. They they're thinking of making an exception to his nomination uh, as the uh, former, his predecessor, current sitting Secretary of Defense Mattis, who was a Marine Corps veteran. They made an exception to his uh, 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 assignment in right. uh, under the law. Right. So uh, there's there's a bunch of issues associated with not necessarily with this general in particular, who is a pretty standard, but. A, a decorated, uh, apparently competent, as far as military affairs goes, of competent general, four-star general, um, and apparently well-liked in the military.
1: Yeah. And um, also, uh, we're going to talk about that first in the show, but um, we're also going to have Pete Shoemaker. Did I say it, Pete's name right?
0: Yeah, Pete Sh- Shoemaker.
1: <laughs> yes. He's a, a, a Navy vet. Um, he was a submariner uh, who later became a cook, and that will come up a little bit. <laughs> Uh, when, when we, uh, talk with him, uh, we've done the interview already, um, and we're going to talk to him about counter recruitment and what some people call, um, truth and recruiting. Um, but before we get started talking about Lloyd Austin and specifically about civilian control, cause Lloyd Austin is just the person that was, um, nominated. Um, I want to wish everyone a happy holiday, uh, for people who, uh, uh, Celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. Um, And um, if you celebrate Kwanzaa, Happy Kwanzaa. Um, I also want to congratulate Mike here on being vice president of Veterans for Peace uh, local chapter. I really do. Again. Yeah, again. (laughs) Honestly, I didn't even realize he was vice president, but I want to congratulate him on that. All those that can also be a headache. I know. Um, but I know you do. You do a great, great job. So I want to thank you for your service with Veterans for Peace.
0: Thank you. That's that's something I'm unfamiliar. I was served as the first uh, uh, president, or sometimes you think it's a victim of this organization <laughs> when it started in 2003. And we've had some some chaos uh, over the years, uh, but it's all you know. People have picked up the 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 gavel, if you want to call it, and. and and moved on we've had uh, quite an interesting cast the characters being officers and actually mem- members but uh, uh, the good thing about it is that the mission is uh, mission goes on and the vet- metro members have stepped up and uh, continued to work with vfp
1: right also we've been doing the show for either a year or a month more than a year maybe 13 months yeah, I now think
0: so. it's a year yeah because last year about this time he said are we going to do it on christmas and it might be like 13 months Right. We've
1: been, you know, yeah. I think
0: we started in November.
1: I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: we missed one month. Did we miss one yeah, month? Yeah. We missed one yeah. month. I can't remember. So, Maybe
1: it was March or something. Um, the other thing is that the,
0: the, the radio stations needs uh, studio space. They're getting kicked out of their space. So, for those people who are listening to this thing, they, they are looking for a studio space to broadcast this uh, broadcast their program, which is varied and, and very progressive and if left wing. Uh, a lot of good issues uh, they're streaming so if yeah. uh, you know of a space that that they can use you know for free or for very very little money please uh, talk to K- kodx 96.9 mike mccormick who's the uh handles uh, the manager of the station
1: right um so uh, let me just say the radio show airs and streams every fourth wednesday our show Every fourth Wednesday of the month from 6 to 7 p.m. on KODX 96.9 FM. Um, and if you cannot actually pick up the signal, um, and that's in Seattle, you can go to KODXseattle.org uh, to find the stream because um, they stream all the 24-7. And you can find um, our radio show there at KODX Seattle dot org slash seattle vfp and one other thing just real quick we have to acknowledge that the covid uh the virus has continued to ravage our country um we're over 300 and i guess 20,000 people have died at this point 18 million cases of covid um this is very sad especially uh this season you know with christmas and people wanting to travel i would suggest that people don't travel stay home if you can Also, um, there's two vaccines out now, uh, which is very exciting. Um, There might be some people concerned about whether or not they should take the vaccine. I would suggest to you that you probably should. Um, You should pay real close attention to the news because things change. Um, But the reason I have a lot of confidence in it is because there are a lot of uh, medical professionals, many across the world looking at this. It'd be very hard for... Um, there to be some kind of conspiracy or uh, people to hide anything because there's way too many people looking at this um, um, people who are concerned about their families uh, so I'm, I'm watching very closely pay attention so I'm not telling you that don't just go by my words um, but more than likely this is safe and that new strand um, that mutated um, that's in the UK um, people are concerned about that which is fair but um, from what the scientists believe at this point, the vaccine will be able to deal with uh, that strand, so. Yeah,
0: it, it is very important that people, the, the medical professionals say that we need a, something like a 70% threshold of, uh, of immunizations to make, make this sort of what they call herd immunity or to damp down the virus to make it work and that the, at, during that period, you can't stop doing social distancing, wearing masks, and the other protocols that people should be using, uh, you know, people who who do things like travel unnecessarily, unless they have to, they're part of the problem with this sort of thing because they, they are actually vectors and uh, spreaders. And yeah. it is it's morally reprehensible for these people to do that. Uh, yeah. To say nothing of the politicians who have not paid attention to this catastrophe. Right. Not ju- not just the president, but majority of the republican party unfortunately to be specific right and then uh, that's the mainstream and the, sort of the fringe elements who don't don't believe in vaccines or think it's a conspiracy they're actually get a lot of press but actually they're relatively small number of people but hopefully it's the leadership which is biden showing that he's putting his front and center will make a difference and uh, getting vaccinated himself out getting vaccinated Provide some leadership, which we have not had. Right. We well, right. for four years. Right.
1: All right. So um, let's go ahead and talk about civilian control of the military. Um, so the reason this has come up is because uh, General Lloyd James Austin, the third is the proposed nominee to be secretary of defense um, by President-elect Joe Biden. And just real quick. Um, uh, Austin is an American retired four-star army general who served as the 12th commander of the United States Central Command. He was the first black commander of CENTCOM. He also uh, was commander. He spent a lot of time in my hometown area. Um, he was commander of the 82nd. I'm from Fayetteville, North Carolina. That's where Fort Bragg is and 82nd Airborne's there. Um, so he, he was part of the 82nd when he was a, a younger officer and he also eventually became commander of the 82nd Airborne and my mother Um, who's 86, remembered him. Um, And if you look at his resume and all the different things, um, he was assigned to the 10th mountain division, for example. Um, He is, oh, and he was commander of forces in Iraq. Um, He is um, definitely a war fighter. um, And um, that would say to me that he has uh, a lot of connections still uh, in the military. And then when he got out of the military, um, he served on the boards of Raytheon Technologies, Corps, and also tenant, tenant healthcare. So I just wanted to let people know a little bit about him. You should look, up, look him up on um, Wikipedia. And I, I think um, as far as Mike and I are concerned, it's not as if we're like against um, Lloyd Austin specifically, Um, Like Mike said earlier, he's probably no different. He might even be a better caliber officer than many, many officers for that matter. But the question is, should a um, former general who's only been out of the military for four years, going on five, uh, should this person um, be the Secretary of Defense? Mike? Right. Uh, you know, I'm trying to find the
0: National National Security Act of 1947 requires that only civilians could lead the, the department, the Secretary of Defense. There has to be a seven-year gap between active military service and appointment to the position. Um, actually, I think that that should be revisited. I don't think that we need any former military being, of, of being in charge of the uh, Department of Defense. Um, um, right. The military as we know is a very closed and, and, and uh, not particularly open society. They tend to, uh, uh, they don't like any sort of civilian control. I mean, they pay lip service to this, but I mean, I, I heard it when I was as a junior NCO seeing sergeants and also all well, majors. they talk about civilians and with contempt Really, yeah. So they don't know what they're. We know what we're doing, right. But you know, it, in this country, a democratic country, military is under civilian control, and that's the way it is.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and um um the the National Security Act of 1947 actually called on it for there to be ten years. Um, and in 2008, uh, Congress reduced it to seven years.
2: Oh, and, okay.
1: Yeah, and 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 I don't want to talk too much about that act but i do want people you should also look that up on wikipedia because i'm gonna tell you this act 1947 was a big deal um it actually established the national security council and the central intelligence agency um it it created the uh it took the um you know how the army actually used to have all of the air force used to really be in the army yeah yeah so that act also separated and created the Air Force. I mean, that was a really big, it was like an overhaul of of the United States military. And again, part of it was to say 10 years um, retirement time before you could be thought about to be secretary of uh, defense. And maybe, you know, I didn't look at the act, so it might even say some other positions. Um, um, So I just wanted people to know that. And clearly if Congress felt like when they did this reorganizing that they needed to have in the law that um, generals or whoever is going to be secretary of defense needed to be out of the military for 10 years. They were certainly thinking about um, civilian control. And unfortunately, um, that's been undermined a little bit. And I wanted another thing I want to tell you all real quick is that there's only been two times since then that it's been waived. Um, one happened three years later. Uh, President Truman, there was a waiver for George Marshall to become um, secretary of defense. And the other time was James Mattis um, under President Trump. So this would right, be right. only the third time in what, uh, 60, 73 years something yeah.
2: like that.
1: Yeah.
0: But, you know, <coughs> a guy like Marshall, who was a five star general called a rank called general of the army. Right. He's probably one of the most famous and accomplished uh, generals this country has ever had. Maybe, maybe. I think that's not, that's a fair claim. I mean, he was a diplomat and a soldier. And, and, uh, and he also is one of the, and it's interesting you brought him up. He was asked about civilian control. Of the uh, of the department and the military, he says, when I was a lieutenant or a captain, he says, I to think we says we need a guy, we need an army guy in there. He says, when I got older, he says, I realized that that wasn't really true. And he says, part part of that reason that I changed my opinion was my own experience in the Philippines, mm-hmm. the Philippine War. As some of you may know, it was a violent, repressive sort of uh, put down of the uh, native rebellion there against U.S. Uh, imperial interests. It was an ugly, vicious war. Right, you know, a lot of civilians killed. In addition to that, so
1: that's right. Um, um,
0: that's an interesting remark from a guy who's experienced as as experienced as General Marshall was.
1: That's right, and you know, <laughs> again, you know, this he is interesting in that he also illustrated, I think, in many ways, most starkly why we would want civilian right. control. Um, when it comes, or a civilian in in the position of Secretary of Defense, because um, I was reading how when MacArthur was um, making statements against President Truman's policies in the Korean War, and and some of you might know that eventually um, President Truman had to fire MacArthur. Um, What I read is that when President Truman was trying to discipline MacArthur, George Marshall was actually trying to intervene on the behalf of of uh, MacArthur yeah. and didn't really want him to be fired. But eventually, um, you know, it, it had to happen. And the reason that I I feel like that's a um, an illustration of the problem is because one of the things that happens is that um, generals know each other; they become friends. Um, they similar they think similarly um, and it's hard just think about you trying to control one of your friends. It's hard to control your friends and and depending on what kind of relationship you have with that person, um, when they do some things that you don't necessarily think is right but it's not that bad in your eyes maybe you might let them slip, you know, let them get away with some stuff and then when it's time to really hold them accountable, you're in this position of am I gonna speak up for my friend or am I gonna discipline this person? Um, and so that's where apparently uh, George Marshall was in that in that um, position to have to make that decision. And for a while he was going with his friend. Um, and that's a problem. It's not a problem in, in, in certain um, careers, but that's a problem when you're talking about the military and civilian control.
0: Yeah, well, they're all, uh, and that's a good deal Point, uh, illustrated point, it, that they're all in the club and they're all yeah. military guys, and uh, and the remark about you know um, we take care of our own that sort of thing, yes, yeah. sort of kind of us and them, them being civilians.
1: That's right. I mean,
0: they don't know what they're doing. Um,
1: so, you know, and play. and let me give you when you just talk about they don't know what they're doing. So there's a there's actually truth to that. And it depends on what you're talking about. So an example again is um, Lyndon Baines Johnson, the Johnson administration during the Vietnam War, where they were picking out targets of what to bomb, right? Right. And and what I read is that um, when I don't know, I don't know if it was every morning, but whenever they did that session, there weren't any um, professional military people there to talk about what should be targeted and why, from a military strategic perspective, it was all political, which I believe that, first of all, I don't want there to be any wars, okay, so, but if there's gonna be wars, the the civilians are supposed to deal with the politics of the war, because war, the purpose of war is to reshape politics, to move it to a, a, a different place, because war is, you need to end the war, you need a political outcome. And sometimes the, the ending of the war is just beating the opposition to the point where they just give up and say, okay, we're gonna do what you say. Or you might push them to a point where they're gonna negotiate with you. But it's all about politics. Um, when, you, when you have civilians though, trying to tell, and I'll say us as, as war fighters, if we were war fighters, how to fight the war instead of telling us, you, we want you to fight this war and here are our strategic objectives. Now we're also gonna tell you the strategy for fighting the war, but they don't know nothing about it. Then that could end up getting more of our people killed cause you don't know what you're doing. You don't know anything about fighting these wars. So, so there's a point where if you're gonna have a military you got to turn over the war fighting to the war fighters but you need to control how long the war is gonna go on why are we even having this war in the first place? And uh, what are the parameters for how we're gonna fight this war? There's the politics that um, the politicians are supposed to deal with. And when the military people start to determine the politics, then it's totally out of the control of, of, the, uh, of the civilians. And that's, that's um, a place where we certainly don't wanna go because then the next step is a military dictatorship. Where they're actually in control, not only of the foreign policy, but they're in control of what's happening domestically.
0: Well, the other point of that is is that true true the business of the military is fighting wars, right? But you know, in uh, too many instances, and we can go back to Korea to this to the, actually further than that to to give examples, the military has to show competency, and they have not shown competency for. Well, since the Second World War. We won the Second World War for b- basically a bunch of com- uh, reasons. Basically, we had more soldiers and more equipment and more infrastructure than anybody else did. Yeah. We were going to spend it no matter how long it took. Right, But military competency, if the military is not confident, uh, uh, there's a good book called the, uh, the Generals by Thomas Ricks. And he talks about the competency of, say, World War II generals compared to since, since then. And there's there's a good case to be made of incompetence at the senior level for Iraq, Afghanistan, certainly Vietnam. <clears throat> and some of these some of the, the getting back to the sort of, of the good old boys club mm-hmm. is that some generals did know what they were doing was not right or, or correct, not only for, say, uh, uh, adhering to the United Nations and, and Geneva Convention protocols, but also just for the ba- basic competency of the war, there were generals, senior generals in Vietnam who knew that Westmoreland's claim about killing, killing our way to victory was bogus. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, two and th- three star generals, and that's true. And also in Iraq, and nobody in Iraq ever stood up and said this is a bad idea. Right. And for, for the way the uh, military works is that for a military officer to con- to confront or criticize government policy, he's got to, they got to take their stars off. Right. You know, but, but they're free to do that. They can't do it while in uniform, but none of them did. None of them.
1: No. Right.
0: Uh, You know, a few years ago at a, at a, um, trees Vietnam, there was a rear admiral, which is, I think a three-star rank Mm -hmm. spoke about, uh the Iraq invasion This so was just after the Iraq invasion and I went and asked him after the uh, presentation he says do you think it would have made a difference in Iraq the invasion if, if some, some senior officers would have stood up and taken their stars off and said this is not right this is wrong he says yeah it would have made a big difference right so the idea that the military is is, is there to fight the war is an obvious one but you have to hold them to accountability for their confidence
1: sure
0: and 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 if and if they're not doing it like we did in world war Two, we didn't kick them out of the service we just get them out of the way because you're right. not you're not doing the job you're supposed to do the, right and then right. They, the other thing is that they they lie about it yeah I mean, generals lied yes yeah. Moreland lied yeah the generals in in, in uh, iraq lied
1: yep yeah depending they said, on sure yeah well
0: you want us to do what sure we can do that
1: right and so, that's <laughs> That's true. And, and we only have a few minutes. But let me say this. Um, I feel like the bigger problem is that our civilian leaders are asking to do the military, the military to do things that they can't do. Um, the invasion of Iraq, the invasion of Afghanistan, um, trying to control populations that should be free that should be free to determine their own destiny that are thousands of miles away. We shouldn't be doing that. But as you said, the general is going to say, yes, sir, we can do that because we are, we were taught, I was taught as an officer, you can do, you just need the right training and the right equipment and you can make it happen. So that's the mentality that they have. So I don't know if I hold them so much responsible, although individually lions a lie, so I don't care. You know, yeah, I hold you responsible for that. But for our foreign policy strategy and what the military is being asked to do, that's that's uh, the the foreign policy establishment uh, that I hold accountable, and yeah. and the corporations for wanting to make money more than I do the military itself. And well, I will yeah. say that the the generals lack a, a good amount of integrity to tell the truth. So I don't want to you know let them. All- you know the the military officers. You were an officer,
0: I suppose. Yeah. You, you got you reflect some of that sort of mentality even now. Yeah. But they have this sort of they hold themselves to a higher standard. Yeah. They hold themselves to a higher standard, not just the Constitution, which they swear an allegiance right. to, but duty, honor, country. There's an officer's right. uh you swear to an officer's creed. And and that is a higher standard that they do not do not actually fulfill that higher standard. You're right. And and they're hypocrites about it. I agree. And they, they dishonor their oath when they say Yeah, we do, but we don't. I agree. It's more of a go along, especially in senior ranks. It's a go along to get along. You know, no, no less a person uh, than uh, uh, Powell, who was uh, Secretary of Defense, I guess under under uh, Bush. And he knew that that was a bad idea, and it's haunted him for. You know. uh, Yeah,
1: he was Secretary of State.
0: Yeah, Secretary of State.
1: He knew better. Yeah, I know. and See, but we're, yeah, what we're asking is for people not to be humans, because that's how humans act. But you're right. But yeah, I'm, not, that, I'm not in any way disagreeing with you. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. That's the that's the setup
0: that they give. We're yeah. better than you. We're I more moral than you are. And they aren't. <laughs> I know, I know some officers are some officers are they yeah. took those stars off. And it happened to a few times in Vietnam. Right. It hasn't had happened much since. And the criticism that they got from generals was after the war had started, after they retired, they say, well, that was a good idea. Right. Well, that's bullshit.
1: I agree. You know? I agree with you. you know?
0: And, well, you know, it's by their own definition. Yes. I hold you responsible by your own what your what your own oath is. I know and if you're not going to uphold it. You don't belong belong being an officer.
1: Well, we had to talk about this some more because I totally agree with you. But where is the line between we say civilian control and then I give you an a order? You know, so it's, it's a, it's a, I don't know. I don't know. Well, it is
0: a bigger line because the Secretary of Defense in, in Bush's Secretary of what was his name?
1: Rumsfeld. Rumsfeld. Yeah. He
0: wasn't an officer. It wasn't a military army. He was like a, a hawk.
1: Yes. Genie. Man, yeah. these people were. That's right. <laughs> they were. Well, we better, um, go ahead and transition on to our, our next guest. This has been a lively discussion and it's very important, it's very important because it can lead to some things in our democracy that, that we really don't want um, if we don't continue to um, watch closely civilian control of the military. All right, so we're just gonna go ahead and, and um, talk to Pete Shoemaker. if I said that right. Schoonmaker, yeah. Okay, thanks.
0: My name is Mike Dietrich, and uh, this is the uh, Veterans for Peace radio show. Our guest today is Pete Schoenmaker. Is that how I pronounce your last name, Schoenmaker?
2: Schoonmaker.
0: Schoonmaker. Is there an umlaut over the O? Mm, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's German. Uh, longtime member of Veterans for Peace, as I am. Uh, with me is Michael McPherson, also. And we're today we're here to talk about uh, kind of recruiting in the in the schools, in the Seattle schools in particular but counter recruiting generally. So um, I'm a long time uh, counter recruiter going back to my days at Seattle Draft and Military Counseling Center. So um, I've sort of been around probably 20 years or so plus. Uh, it is really good to see that Veterans for Peace has actually adapted, adopted counter recruiting <laughs> as one of its major uh, policy programs. And uh, Pete's been a part of that for a long time. Mm-hmm. So Pete do you want to give a sort of introduction of where VFP's is with that uh, program at
2: the moment in the shadow schools? Okay, we you've actually we're doing this interview actually in an interesting time because of the COVID-19 situation with schools all over the country going into remote learning um we've done counter recruiting here in seattle for a number of years actually you mike dietrich have been doing this longer than i have actually here um we have a long-standing arrangement with the schools by which we get basically equal time in the seattle school district with the recruiters so our long-term model was when the recruiters came in to show To the schools, they would let us know and we would come and bring a pro-peace, anti-militarism counterpresence, counter-recruiting, basically. That model is no longer operating because of the remote learning. So we're going through a number of changes in our approach to compensate for that. Right now we're working on figuring out how the military is going about recruiting students in high schools under remote learning conditions. We've learned a few things we need to find out more. And we are now developing an approach trying to get ourselves invited into the schools on equal time on a remote basis, invited into classrooms, possibly into student clubs where we can do pro-peace, anti-war, anti-militaristic presentations and take questions, you know, from students, you know, and, and discuss with them and stuff. Yeah. One thing maybe you want to ask, you know, um, one thing we, a long standing tool of ours is a military IQ test. We've been using that for a number of years in schools, and we need to adapt that to an online presence now.
0: Uh, yeah, we did. Actually, it was initially developed by uh, Dan Gilman, a member of VIP, and, mm-hmm. uh, and subsequently sort of tweaked. But, yeah, we've been doing that at career fairs and also at our our uh, regular stints as uh, showing up when the recruiters show up. I should mention that um, Veterans for Peace is actually has a sort of an outsized um, well respect and also authority that other organizations don't have and that is because we're veterans and uh, more than once I'm sure it's been your case where people come up and say thank you for being here uh, really respect, respect Veterans for Peace and what they're doing yeah. so uh, it actually gives us some sort of a, a, a immunity to criticism about you know not being patriotic and that sort of thing uh, I know that to you I've had school administrators come up and thank you for being here so uh, that's an important part of the uh, presence and uh, um,
1: it's made us very
0: um, effective in that sense
1: mm-hmm. um, I have a question for for you Pete and 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 you too Mike because you know you all have been doing this a while and I'm new soon not to be so new to Seattle after, after I guess two years at this point. But um, this um, military IQ test that you just mentioned, Pete, can you tell us a little bit about that? What is that? What's the purpose of it?
2: It's a number of questions. Uh, There's eight or nine question versions, simple things that people need to know going into the military. You know, students are going to decide what they're going to do based on the information they have. There's, We found that basically recruiters are not always forthcoming and truthful about what all is involved in military service. They'll kind of promise kids the world and you get to see the world and do all this cool stuff without going into the costs either to the perspective GI or to the rest of the world, to the people of the world, the costs of what the US military is doing around the world. Um, And there's a a number of just basic things that, that they don't know, they should know before they even start talking to these recruiter people. And we have a questionnaire, with you know, a, you know, choice right or wrong answers, and then we grade it right on the spot with the students, so they know a little bit what's going on. Um, I'm going to go through your questions.
1: Well, you don't have to do them all, but give us an example of a few, like maybe three or four.
2: Okay.
0: I think one at the top of the list is actually one of the more important ones.
2: Oh well, yeah, this is a real simple one. They'll find this out pretty quick. When you enlist in the military, or when I enlist in the military, how many years do I have to serve? And then A, A, two years, B, four years, C, six years, D, eight years. The answer is eight years. It's an eight-year contract for everyone. You may not be active duty all or most of that time, but you can be called back at any time during that time frame. It's called stop loss. Right. It was heavily used during the more intense phases of
1: the Iraq war. What a, is there a question that um, students or people who take that are more surprised by the answer to or, you know, is most there,
2: people pick four years.
1: No, no. I'm saying is there any other question that okay, um, Which, which let me just say, let me let me just say that again. You said that most people say four years. So that's good yeah. information to know. So thank you for that. But is there any other question that people are like, "Oh, I really didn't have any idea," or they're surprised, or you know, takes them aback?
2: Okay. The uh, no, the most. My answer for that one would be um, question number eight. Since World War II, how many defensive wars has the U.S. fought? Mm. Answer: A. None. B. Four. C. Six. D. Seven some people get that the, the correct answer is no defensive wars right a lot of them pick four for some reason once again just a popular number or something wow but they have to reread defensive war defense is where you know we were attacked or, or whoever a defense is you know somebody attacks you and then you fight back essentially right we, we don't do that here in america so. right
0: I, I would add the other uh, another important question is some of these questions are open to an opinion.
2: Yeah. Yes. Uh,
0: that you know you can go one way or the other, but but uh, the first question about how long the military service is that's a matter of fact. Yes, yeah. Right. It's not something you argue about.
1: Yeah. The
0: other question that uh, that we ask about is what uh, are you obligated? What is what is a delayed enlistment program? The mm-hmm. delayed enlistment program is is a program by which people who are, are in high school uh, sort of get prepped to go into the military, but it is not an enlistment. Mm-hmm. And often recruiters will say, they don't mention that it is not an enlistment. They used to actually lie about this more, but they don't so much lie as just admit facts. And the fact is, if you're in the DEP you don't have to go into the military. Yeah. It's not a stand up and take the oath of office uh, enlistment. Mm. Uh, but some students have been uh, uh, shoved into active duty enlistment because they thought they were enlisting, and it's not. And that is actually something that is not debatable. Uh, uh, that's a matter of fact. Uh, in fact, yeah. it's illegal for recruiters to say that that is the case. Um, I suppose the other one, one of the other things too, is. Uh, that the recruiters don't want to talk about is the sort of the physical and mental costs of being in the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, why don't you read that question,
2: Pete? Yeah. Uh, well, a number of questions get into that. There's questions about health issues, sexual assault, and suicides. Those are all questions dealing with that.
0: And are also none of them
2: are actually they're the matter of fact. These matter. are all matters of fact. How many women in the U.S. military are sexually assaulted? The correct answer is more, see more than 30%. Mm-hmm. People actually sort of get that. That's not one of the wildly inaccurate ones. I'm just ballpark. Right. Right. Um, and there's also rising awareness actually now of veteran suicides. It's, you know, it's well it's kind of out there. There's you know, 22 a day. It might be higher now. Number seven, on the average, how many veteran suicides occur daily? Or the answer I have on the paper here is 20. It's actually higher. It's 22 now. <clears throat> um, those questions, people are kind of all over the map about that. Some people understand that there's problems with those right. issues. Uh, what health issues do soldiers have after serving in the military? Um there's actually three correct answers to that one. Suicide, depression, PTSD, traumatic brain injury. They're all right. Um, people kind of know some of that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, another one that's really, I think it's sort of. where sort of on the borderline of actually, you know, it has to be broken down into more detail than the way we have it, I think. Is question number two, is the military a good place to learn a skill for a career when I get out? Now, if one thing, that's like their big selling point, one of the military's big selling points. Right. And we've long found that actually, on the average, it's probably not. That's actually our correct answer, C, probably not. It's yes, no, probably not, or depends on my officer.
1: Depends probably on what. You know, what you say. Depending on
2: what you go into, what branch of okay. service. Right. The average is, I think, uh, something like. It's in our answer sheet. It's probably a little dated, but. Uh, the answer version I have here doesn't have the percentage, but it's like under ten percent, if I remember. Actually, go into a skill they learn in the military when they get out. Wow. That can be for a number of reasons, including you pass the school and everything, and then you get in trouble. You know, something happens. Um, so, how do you define the skill? What kind of work do you look for? Like, do you try and get a job as a mercenary or Blackwater or cop, security, right, or what? Right. Um, just speaking for myself, I learned dishwashing in boot camp. <laughs> And that became a lifelong
0: skill. That's not the yeah. main thing I put on my resume. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I use myself as an example of military yeah. skills. I was an interrogator linguist and says, Well, when I got to the service, I could either uh, uh, not the only job is I could go work for a mercenary or go work for the Los Angeles Police Department.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. Right. Um. So earlier, I mean, as we were talking about these um, questions and Mike pointed out that most of them are ones that are a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And um, that was right after you mentioned how many wars the U.S. has been in that um, were defensive in nature. Yeah. And I, And I know that if you were to ask that question and if you put the number one as one of the answers, I think some people would. Say one because they would say September 11 and it's the attack at the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of those places where it, it is debatable. But yeah. the reason I bring that up again is because it one, it could only be the only other possible answer, as opposed to um, three or four, or you know, clearly, most and I just want listeners to think about that you might want to argue about whether or not September 11 was a defensive, um, whether or not the U S responded in a defensive way.
2: Mm-hmm. And you
1: know what? Fine. Yeah. But if you look at all the other wars we've been in, um, mm-hmm. after, what did you say after world war two, you say after world war two. Yeah. Yes. Um, And and even not wars, let's just say attacks, because um, we've done a lot of attacking of people that did not like Grenada or, you know, there's been attacks that were not wars. Um, They've all been offensive in nature. So I just wanted to get that out there because I know there are some listeners saying, what about September 11?" You know, so we'll acknowledge maybe you could say that. And and I'm sure you two might want to push back on that some. Yeah. That that aside for a moment. Yeah. There's not oh, been any others. Sure. Yeah.
0: The the one of the one of the things that happens with these questions is that they're somewhat provocative, as, as you uh, just just mm-hmm. outlined, mm-hmm. and it actually uh, paves the way for some uh, interaction with the uh, students and that yeah. sort of thing. And as far as you're right about, it, I mean, we were attacked, but the uh, other side of that story was we did did we need to invade a country and stay there for twenty years, right? Uh, and what did we do? Yes. What what was the what's the rationale for that? Right. Know? Uh, you right. know, and, and, and uh, 14 of the attackers were Saudi Arabia right. Saudis, you know. Right. <laughs> and
2: right. quick this me message, I mean, yeah, that's just the idea. We want to raise discussion. We're not trying yeah. to, like, browbeat kids into, like, thinking the way we do it. We want to right. get them thinking. Right. But one thing just on the uh, Afghanistan issue.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, if I recall when the war started, The initial response of the afghan government was they were asking the u.s for proof yeah and they were like actually like trying to pull together like a judicial thing in afghanistan where you know if you come you know lay out some proof you know then we'll you know deal with it you know in terms of al-qaeda so-called deaths at the time right but there was no it was like immediately turn these people over we start bombing and you know whatever Refuse any attempt, any attempt sort of like a legal or diplomatic resolution to it. That's right.
1: And we're still there. Yeah. You know, 19 years later. Um, so myself, I've I've participated in some counter recruitment and and some people call it truth in recruiting, because, as you said, the um, the recruiters aren't don't always tell the full story. Yeah. And we and we as Veterans for Peace want to make sure that that the prospective enlisted person or maybe even someone going to ROTC, whatever, the person is thinking about going to the military. Here's the full spectrum Mm -hmm. of 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 what the military is about. Um, It's not that it's not just counter recruitment. It's just, hey, here here's everything that you need to know. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like what I used to say is kind of like a a used car salesman Mm -hmm. salesperson. They're going to show you all the good and shiny things about the car, yeah. but they're not going to tell you about some of these things that's wrong with it. And they know about, so that's, that's kind of how I, I look at it. I, I just wondering what do you all think about that perspective? You
0: know, I've, I've had a couple of personal, when you talk to these recruiters, some of them who are combat veterans, they are sort of off the record. He says, well, you know, if I told these kids about what it's like to go to go through a mortar attack, uh, I wouldn't get I wouldn't get anybody to enlist and yeah <laughs> my uh, I had a personal year years ago several years ago when we used to have an Auburn Veterans Day uh, uh, information booth and the Auburn Veterans Day parade and I had at one time a display of uh, dead from the Washington State a uh, us military dead and as Lieutenant colonel came over there and he was looking he says yeah I said I know some of these people and he says but yeah if I showed my, my soldiers that I wouldn't get anybody to enlist
1: right. No, that's right. Yeah,
2: um, we're, we're trying to get them more to like think about like just all sidedly. Like, you know, like we're a couple like old people show up, you know, for a half hour or something, you know, and then you know, and the military's there and stuff. We're just we're kind of trying to get them to think and we have a number of pieces of literature that we give to people when they take the quiz.
1: Right.
2: Also it has some more background information, including Alternatives to military service, you know, other ways to try and, you know, figure out a way forward after high school, and stuff.
1: Right.
2: Uh,
0: one of the one of the things that we have done and say we've had some mem- of some of our younger members of Iraq and Afghanistan vets show up, and they are very effective at talking to these kids because they're a little closer in age mm-hmm. to these students. Yeah. Um, uh, we'd like to have more uh, more Iraq and Afghanistan vets do that, and also particularly have more women show up. We've mm-hmm. got some, uh, uh, I'm trying to get Kelly. Who's our, the other captain <laughs> who's, uh, 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 and, former chaplain. All of these people are, these younger people are actually very f- powerful voices for veterans for peace and kind of recruiting.
1: Right. Right. And I, I appreciate, um, Pete, when you spoke about alternatives mm-hmm. uh, to military service, because that's really important. Um, a lot of the young people, you know, when I went in and I grew up in Fayetteville, North Carolina, Fort Bragg is there. And so I had all these models, I guess I should say, or role models of of people going in the military and, and when you grow up there in Fayetteville, it's kind of like what you do, you yeah. know, you go in the military and my and my family also, I have a lot of uh, military service in my family. Mm -hmm. My son also went in the military. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: so, you know, I I didn't even think about necessarily doing anything else. Mm -hmm. So it was really important to help the young people think, no, you don't have to do this. Here are some other things you can do. Because Mm -hmm. some of the skills that you're looking for, you can get them somewhere else Mm -hmm. and not put yourself in possible exposure of danger because really, joining the military, you can get a lot of good things out of it. I, I have to say I've gotten a lot of good things out of it. Mm. But there's a price. There's mm. a price that a lot of people pay. Mm-hmm. And they don't get anything good out of it. you yeah. know. And you don't know. It's like, I guess what I'm saying to the listeners, it's like rolling a rolling die. Yeah. You know, It's like playing uh, your gambling uh, with your future. When you join the military, because mm. the worst thing that can happen is you die. Yeah. Most other um, professions, that's not the worst thing that can happen to you, right? Mm. And the second thing, maybe most worse, but maybe it's as worse, is you kill someone. Yeah. Carry that with you. And mm. most other professions, that is not the case. There's a few others. Yeah. You could die or you could take someone's life. But but that is not the case. And the other thing that's important for listeners to understand, the recruiters might tell you you'll never be in combat. But that's the reality true. is that's not necessarily true. I don't care what your job is. Yeah. Because it's and I know this from the army and and I and I, I guess it's the same in the Marines. Everyone is a soldier first.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So if we need you to fight, or if you're in a bat somewhere and you get attacked, you're gonna shoot you're going to shoot at people and, and people are going to shoot at you. So never believe you'll never be in combat. Yeah. That could very well be true, but it could very well not be.
0: Yeah. I they, 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 call, uh, they call it the armed forces for a reason. Yeah. <laughs>
2: right. yeah two points related to that. Um, yeah. One is people should be aware of, this is something they're probably not doing now, but if they get into any heavy war situation, they will.
0: <clears throat>
2: related directly to this combat question is, there's something called individual augmentation where like you can join a service like the air force or Navy, where you're not expected to be in close-in ground combat, but they're taking people from these other branches of service and putting them in ground combat situation. If that's where they're needed. Right. That's just, that's one piece, piece of the puzzle. You have like, you have a job title, something that has nothing to do with, combat and still end up in in a combat situation. Yeah, there were a whole bunch of Navy and Air Force and the junior enlisted who ended up driving trucks and convoys and getting blown up. I just wanted to throw back uh, Michael, coming off what you were saying about how things, it's like a roll of the dice and things. Yeah. My personal background in the military was on a sort of larger scale roll of dice. Vietnam War ended. I'm like, you know, decade or two younger than mike here right Mm -hmm. vietnam war ended i joined the navy in 1977 when jimmy carter was president Mm -hmm. okay so okay vietnam war is over the anti-war movement won. everything's going to be kind of cool you know they're going to chill for a few years right right so then a couple things happened one and i joined navy nuclear power program it's a six-year active pitch right so then, Iran hostage crisis,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? I sort of wasn't planning on that, mm-hmm. right? Got, they had it happen. Then Ronald Reagan was elected. That was a big one. When Reagan came in, they made a whole like turnabout to more old school, traditional, hard <laughs> military, <laughs> and he started like upping. I changed the whole US defense posture to make it much more aggressive, yeah. much more out there deployed. Right. And a whole bunch of shit, right.
1: Yeah.
2: All at once, right? First they gave us a pay raise and then he started rolling out all this other stuff, right? <laughs> so naturally I took a vacation, right? <laughs> you know, this this is like the uh their roll of the dice, kind of like with me. I said, I am right. <laughs> so pardon, <laughs> pardon my language for <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna have
1: to beat this out, but go ahead. <laughs>
2: yeah. An AWOL vacation? Yeah, AWOL vacation. Got caught and then I'm out of my nuclear. That's why I'm, my main skill now is dishwashing, right? <laughs> so I'm out of nuclear, but still doing out my time, learn how to work in a locks plant and a whole went down a whole different path kind of thing. But it is really like a crapshoot. Right. Doing the stuff, you don't know what.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, we probably should wrap up now. Um, I was wondering if there's anything, if people need to get in touch with us or if there's anything you want to tell people about um, truth recruiting, counter recruitment, um, you know, so that might help them in case their loved one or someone they know is planning on get going in the military.
2: OK, we have a website and Facebook page, Veterans for Peace, 90, vfp92.org. Orgy, Facebook is, well, look for Veterans for Peace Chapter 92 on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. We can be contacted through there. We have uh, email, info, I believe, at vfp92.org. Reach out to us. We have materials and we have people who are experiencing counter recruiting. And we are actively right now trying to figure out what the recruiters are doing. We need help from people to do this. And we're happy to reach out or connect with anyone in the community who wants to go over these kind of issues. Right now, like, we all have, like, Zoom and stuff. We can meet online with people, talk to people. We can send materials to people. So, yeah, by all means, contact us, and we'll get back to you, especially around counter-recruiting. That's one of our best things we do as a chapter.
1: All right. Well thank you pete i appreciate your time Mm -hmm. mike you have anything you say thanks pete
0: uh you know very well done we look forward to working with you uh, in the future on counter recruiting with veterans for peace
2: cool you all too yeah
1: that's the end of the show but before we go let me give credit where credit is due our theme music untouchable and the transition music, Spanish Winter, are from the Passion Hi-Fi. You can find his music at thepassionhi-fi.com. That's the P-A-S-S-I-O-N hi-fi, H-I-F-I, dot com. Thanks again to Pete Schoonmaker to talk about counter-recruitment or what some people call truth and recruiting. Tune in next time the radio show airs and streams every fourth Wednesday of the month, 6 to 7 p.m. on KODX 96.9 FM Seattle. That's 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific time. Or listen to a live stream at KODXseattle.org. You can listen to our past episodes at KODXseattle.org slash So until then, stay in the struggle. Power to the people and power to the people.